Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Well, last week we started a series and uh, I walked away from it stirred myself in the hopes that that would continue in the rest of the series. I mean, really, if I'm stirred and you're not, at least I am. So, I mean, I hope you're stirred, but uh, but I'm I'm praying that the Lord would really use this series to help us as a community, uh, to give us something that's more than just us going through the motions, but that we would walk through this series and out of it uh, with something imparted to us that would be of a help to us. And we're calling this series "Developing a Forerunner Culture," and it's it's co- accomplishing a few things. We're doing a little bit of a review of. How did the prayer room get to be where we are? Not our building, but our ethos, our, our culture, our DNA. How, how did TPR become what we are, who we are? And then as a, a point of an advertisement to other houses of prayer and other ministries that are trying to establish a foreigner culture, we can kind of wave a flag and go, hey, we don't know everything at all. We don't know every way to do this, but we do know one way to form a forerunner culture because we did it. And let us share some of our story. And then lastly is for those that are in our midst that have been with us for a season or for a long season even, but haven't heard these messages, haven't been stirred up by these specific truths, these specific realities that were so formative in helping the prayer room become what we become. It's just, it's who we are. It's how we think. It's, it's why we make the decisions that we make them the way that we do. And so tonight is in t- session two is entitled "Building a History in God." When I think about what caused the prayer room to become this way, I don't know that there's too many phrases that stick out to me more than that one: "Building a History in God." It was a, a term. It was a, a a lifestyle, a thought process that we were thinking about a lot back in those living room days. It was a subject we were discussing a lot. And remember, contextually, I was the old guy at 25, 26, 27. And so you're talking about a group of 18 to 24-year-olds, something like that, 23-year-olds, that are hearing this idea of building a history in God of, don't just be a Christian, build a history. Endeavor, put energy toward Building a history. Think of yourself. We were using the, the, the timeline of 20 years. We were saying, think of yourself 20 years down the road, and who do you want to be in God? What do you want to be reality on your internal you know, hard drive? What, what do you want the way that you process? What do you want to be able to say about your life in 20 years? And, and I want to repeat that phrase tonight, whether you're 10 or 20 or 50, I want to ask that question again afresh and anew because I'm finding myself reinvigorated by the exact same question, and that is, where do you want to be in 20 years from now? I want you to think about the future version of you, specifically related to your life in God, not anything else. This conversation isn't about anything else. It's about in 20 years... Where do you want your life in God to be? What do you want that to look like, feel like? How do you want to, what do you want to be able to say about the last 20 years of your life? What do you want to be true about you? That's what we mean when we say this term, building a history in God. And it's, it's one that was gripping because the revelation was striking us that everybody that gives their life to Christ is going to do one of two things. You are either going to pursue Jesus, and day to day, you're going to be building a history in God. Or, what is more likely, you're going to go into default mode, and you're going to coast. You're going to just kind of go through the motions of Christianity. You're going to do some things that Christians do. You're going to have little moments where you're you're in a meeting and, and your heart is stirred a little bit by a message. You're going to read the Bible a little. You're going to pursue God a little. You're going you're to have just 
this kind of this go through the motions reality. I just want to tell you that is the default. That is what will happen to your life if you don't do something about it. That is what will happen. That is just the main and the plain. That we're in a current. We're in a river here in America. The American Christianity model has got a current that looks just like what I just described. And as a result of that, if you don't do some things with great intentionality, you will be swept into that current because that's the normal. That's the main and the plain. That is what is done as normative Christianity. I have countless friends that I love that are completely in that current. And they have spent the last 5, 10, and 20 years of their life in that current. And I think if you asked them 20 years ago, where do you want your life in God to be in 20 years? I think that they would have had some ideas about what they thought things would look like. And if you asked them now, are you where you wanted to be? I guarantee you their answers would be no in a sober moment. If they were thinking about their life in God and how they spent the last 20 years, I guarantee you there would be regrets. Now, you'd have to get them in a sober moment because if you just ask them in passing, hey, how's your life? They're going to mostly not be thinking about their spirituality. They're going to mostly be thinking about their car and their house and their family situation. I'm not talking about any of that. None of that matters. (laughs) None of that matters. What matters is our life in God. That's what matters most. And so I think if you could get any of them aside and, and, and get them the, the picture and kind of paint the picture, where did you want to be 20 years ago? If you would have written it down, where did you want to be? And are you there now? I think there would be lots and lots of regret. I want to tell you that's totally normal, and it's an atrocity. It shouldn't be that way. We live in a culture that will absolutely suck you into that default. And 20 years from now, you will be no further along in your relationship with Jesus. You'll be older. You'll have experienced a couple little things, gone to church a few more times, read the Bible a little bit more, and you'll have no more depth in God in 20 years than you do today unless you do something about it. You have got to take charge because I'm telling you the current is strong. And with that current, it is going to just suck you in. And the problem is when you're in that current, You're looking around at everybody else in that current, and you look like you're normal. The problem is that water is lukewarm. And you're in a water that's with everybody else that's in lukewarm Christianity. That passivity, it is so contagious. It is so prevalent in our culture. It is the normal Christian life, and it is passive. And I just want to tell you, as somebody that loves you, As someone that cares about your future in God, if you don't do something about it in 20 years, in 10, in 5, you will look up and be no deeper in God than you are today unless you do something about it. That's this idea of building a history. The concept of building anything. You got blueprints, and the objective is you're going to use resources building materials and human resources, you're going to use those things in order to build a structure, to build something. And if, if you don't build, there's no building. It's really foolish to think we will build a history in God by doing absolutely nothing except going in the river wherever it takes us. You will build nothing. If you want to build something, you want to build a history in God, you got to get an objective of where you want to be you got to come up with a strategy of how you're going to get there, and you've got to apply those principles regularly, day after day after week after month after year. You've got to apply them. That is how you build a history in God. And I want to tell you, you really, really want that history in God. And no one can do it for you. In fact, almost everyone in your life will help you not do it. Most people, well-meaning believers... Some of our dearest friends will actually enable you. They will empower you to just go with the current and to not build that history in God. You want to be warned. The the wisest thing you can do tonight is hear this message and go, how does this apply to me? Not not ask the question, does this apply to me? I promise you it applies to you. Because in 20 years, if you're still alive, you will be 20 years older than you are today. Pretty simple math. I can at least do that. In 20 years, you will have 20 years of history doing something. You want to be really intentional about what that 20 years looked like. And so I want to, I want to stir you. I want, to, I want you to get the idea tonight that 
a long-term life in God, is, it's not, it doesn't happen accidentally. It's labored for, it is built, and it's not built overnight. One of the things that was, was a, a youthful folly that I can remember, uh, not, it wasn't prevalent in our midst, but it was certainly just under the surface in our midst, even in the living room days, was this idea that a radical life in God could be built in a summer or could be built in a year or over an internship, that somehow a life in God was built in a short season of time. It's totally not built in a short season of time. It takes years, I'd even say decades, which is why we're talking about 20 years tonight instead of a week or a month. You want to get a long-term vision. I just want you to read Psalm 27.4, the line that David uses, all the days of my life. We want to get a vision for building a history in God all the days of our life. It's a twofold all. It means every day, so seven days a week, and then it also means for all the weeks I'm still alive, all my days, every day, and for however many I have days. We want to get a vision for a long-term commitment to building a history in God. Think about building a skyscraper and how little work you'd get done in six weeks. How little you would accomplish, I mean, with everybody working on it, how little you'd get done over a summer. If you're building a skyscraper, you've got to have a long-term commitment. This, our life in God is the tallest skyscraper imaginable. You want to spend, you want to invest the rest of your life, long-term, into building this. This was a so it's a subject that was prevalent in the living room days, and it really helped to form TPR the way that it is because we were thinking soberly about our future. We were thinking about our future, our life in God. We were thinking about who we'd be in, in our relationship with Jesus, how we would carry ourselves, what different fruit of the Spirit would look like in our lives. We were thinking about the future. And with sobriety of thought, we were making our decisions about our life. And you can't make sober decisions about your life when you're not in a sober mindset. We were in a sober mindset. There were things that were shifting and, and shaking in us. And it, as, as part of the, the narrative, we were really thinking about our future, even related to the end times. The verse out of uh, 1 Peter 4, 7 became one that we spoke about, prayed about, talked about often. The end of all things is near. Therefore, live different. And the therefore is be alert, be sober-minded, and all of this so that you can have an actual prayer life, so that you can pray. We were hearing those terms, those verses, and, and it was stirring us to go, we want to be a people that are building something, not just making it through. God did not give you a spirit of timidity. He didn't give you a spirit of timidity. A spirit of timidity looks at life this way. I don't know what's going to come. I'll just try to hopefully make it through and stay saved, circumstance after circumstance, season after season. You were not given a spirit of timidity. You were given one of power. And that power enables you to live differently. You can actually make decisions about your life and the way that you'll live and what you'll give yourself to and what you won't. History in God takes work. I, I just say it this way, pretty simply, anything that's worth anything takes work. I mean, if it doesn't take work, it's really not worth much. That's just true. That's a universal principle. I mean, it's like any little cheap constructed toy breaks quickly. Anything of value takes some energy. It takes some work. It, it takes something. And so you want to build a life in God that takes some work. And I just, oh my goodness, this verse just took on new meaning to me these past few weeks as I was getting ready for this message. It's uh, Proverbs 4.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. It just struck me. It struck me afresh. I was like, if we will work hard 
at building a history in God, we will have depth and it will be valuable. But the tendency as American Christians is mere talk. And I just want to tell you, I've got so many friends that I love, and after 20 years, it's led them to mere poverty. It was just talk. It was talk when they were 20. They talked about it less when they were 30. Now they're 40, and they're not even talking about it anymore. Mere talk, it leads to poverty. I just want you to think about, it is so much worse to be bankrupt in your spiritual life than it is to be bankrupt in your bank account. It is so much worse. It, it is The point of life is to know God, love God, and do stuff for God as a friend of God. That's the reason for human existence. reason for human existence isn't to have money in the bank account. The reason for existence isn't, isn't to make it through and, and do different tasks and have a family. We have idolized family in our culture. We have made family number one and God number two or number ten. Family is not number one. I love my family. I do not idolize them. They do not come first. And, and, and everybody in America that's been trained in, in the church, my family comes first, immediately takes God out of first place and puts him somewhere else down the list and now starts making decisions that are out of alignment. Because now the decisions are, how do I keep my family first, which was never supposed to be first? Not career, not spouse, not anything. Nothing was supposed to be first place except God and our relationship with him. And then when that's right, we family so much better. When that's in right alignment, we work better at our job. We do the spouse thing better. We do the single thing better. We do it all better. The problem is we have, we've been sold a lie. And I just want to say it's so clear in American Christianity, in charismatic Christianity in America, family has taken first place and it shouldn't. Family is not first. It's like many other things that are supposed to be in second, third, fifth place, not first. It's really important because it gets us off track. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. I, I want for you to get a vision for building your history in God, building it, putting work into it, and the, the promise that if you will, something will happen in your soul, something good and sweet and bright, like a diamond shining brightly that's been polished. Something beautiful will happen in you, but mere talk will lead you to poverty. Mere talk will lead you far away from God. Mere talk will lead you far away from your destiny. Do you know God puts you on the planet to do stuff? There's stuff you're supposed to do, and you will never do them, ever, if you've concerned yourself with other things instead of him. You will never accomplish the purposes. You will show up before the throne, and God will be like, I love you, I'm glad you're here, but what were you doing down there? You were living some other life. You were doing something else. That's not what I put you on the planet for. But you didn't have the discernment. You didn't have enough oil in your lamp. You didn't have enough spiritual wherewithal to even know what your purpose was because you were building something else instead of building a history in God. Build a history in God and everything else will fall into line. Reflecting back on decades, you really, really want this. I hope. You really, really want to be able to look back and talk about the last decade or two or three or four with fondness and a smile. I spent the last decade loving God and doing his will. To be able to say it, not because you're showing off, to say it to God in a prayer meeting with just you and him, just a time with you and him where you say it back to him and you go, I spent myself, giving myself to you. And it be true. You want that. To live with no regrets. <laughs> you really, really want that. Look at this passage in Job 29. This is both really good because of what it tells us can be, and it's also really bad because Job talks about it in the past tense. Look what Job says here. Oh, for the days when I was in my prime. You just, here's, there's this yearning, there's this longing, there's this jealousy. Oh, when I was in my prime. When God's intimate friendship blessed my home. This is Job reminiscing on past years. Past intimacy, past friendship. I love the principle of what's being communicated. But it's terrifying that he's talking about it 
in the past tense and not in the current reality. He didn't say when, you're, when we began this intimate friendship and oh, how it's only continued to grow. He says, oh, oh, oh I just long to remember when I was a youth in God. And when God's intimate friendship was my reality. But he's talking about in the past tense. I just want to tell you, there's some of you in this room, if you're not careful, you will talk about your relationship with God in the past tense, in 10 years and in 20 years. You will talk about, oh, I was fiery when I was 20. You'll talk about, oh, when I really was going after God some years ago, a decade, two decades ago. I'm telling you, the current will get you if you're not careful. You have to be careful. This is, this is why it takes spiritual violence. You will not survive this without great effort. If you do not build a history in God, you will wake up 10 and 20 years ago, 20 years from now, more bitter, more distant, more just internally achy, more all the stuff you don't want to be, and less fiery less engaged, less in love with Jesus. That is what is going to happen. That is the normal default for the American Christian. Unless you decide, you'll do it different. I just can't say this clear enough. I, I want you to hear me. I am concerned for you because I've watched so many people over the years sit in these chairs or the other blue ones we had before these that were running after the Lord for a season, but they did not sustain it. You've got to build a history and keep building year after decade. It's not enough that you run after him for a short period of time. You want to look back on decades with fondness. Decades don't make you mature. This is a, I, I don't know, I just, I think this is like, it's probably not preached. I think it's just assumed that if you're an American Christian and you keep going to church, as the decades fly by, you will become more mature in God. It's a lie. You will not become more mature because you get older. That's not how this works. I know plenty of 40 and 50-year-olds that are no more mature. In fact, in some cases, there's less fruit of the Spirit in their life today than there was a decade or two ago. You don't mature because you get older. The calendar has nothing to do with your maturity. It has everything to do with building a history in God and staying the course. I look at the author of Hebrews. And you just see he's perplexed. He's, he's like, he's talking about this issue. And he goes, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need milk, not solid food. Being still an infant. Solid food is for the mature. Here's how you mature. By constant use have trained themselves. This is building a history. That's what we're talking about. Trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. This is the author of Hebrews, and he's, he's ticked. He, he's perplexed. He says, you guys really should be so much further along in your walk by now, but you're not. You just let the calendar, you just let the months keep falling off. You just got older, but you didn't press in. You didn't build a history in God. You got stuck in the current. He says, so now I have to treat you. I'm just going with the 20-year-old to now 40-year-old thought process. I have to treat you, 40-year-old, just like you're a 20-year-old that just got started because you're no further along than you were 20 years ago. This is a horrifying thought. I'm telling you, these ideas were shaking us in the living room. These ideas, we were like, I will do Anything I have to do to make sure that is not me in 20 years. And that's what it takes. And there are a handful of people around here who did it. And it's 17 years later, and they're still doing it. I just want to tell you, that is not the majority. The majority did it for a while, and the cares of this life took them out. The cares of this life. What are we talking about? I gave you part G just so you could look at some stuff. There's a longer list than that. I, I'm not even going to spend any time looking at it. You can, you can look at part G on your own. We're talking about what are we, we say building a history in God. It's this kind of stuff and probably some more. So if you're like, well, my favorite thing didn't make the list. Great. Add it your, to your own list and go re-preach it somewhere. Go find five people who will listen to you. 
You know, it's about all that I had in the living room. Maybe there were 10. You don't need 50 people for you to be able to make an impact. A lot of times you preaching, you giving this to another person is actually you just really letting the concrete uh, set in your own soul in as much as you're preaching it to somebody else. I want to encourage you tonight, use this message tonight to make some sober assessments about your life. 2 Corinthians 7.10 is a mercy. It's a kindness. 2 Corinthians 7 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance. I want you to think about that for a second. There is such a thing as a sorrow that comes from God that's good. Now, we don't really like the idea of sorrow. We need to get over that because we like the idea of light and fluffy and happy so much, it keeps us in the current. We need to embrace godly sorrow. It is a gift of God. It says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. There is a godly sorrow that will, later on it will leave you no regret. Here's what it looks like. Assess your apathy. Assess it and go, God, help me. Give me a godly sorrow over this that would leave no regret. Don't you like that part? I mean, we like that part of the verse, right? That leaves no regrets. Nobody likes to live with regrets. Like every movie ever was about somebody that regretted something and then went on a vendetta to fix it or something. Nobody likes regrets. We don't like them. We don't want to have them. There's a way for you to have none. It's embrace godly sorrow over your apathy. Find it. Identify the areas of your heart that are apathetic, that are calloused, that are unyielding to the Lord, that are not looking for uh, the, the ways of God, but are looking for comfort. Identify them and go, God, help me enter into godly sorrow because the word of God says, I will have no regrets if I live that way. If I have that operating in me, godly sorrow. Listen, you want to find that and camp out there. Tears that bring repentance is God's gift to us. You want those moments. In fact, if it's been a while since you had any measure of repentance, any measure of tears over, over something in your soul that wasn't right and some area that you wish you were doing better or differently or, or aching, you want to ask yourself the question, where am I related to the current? God, help me. Help me to feel Godly sorrow that leads to repentance and leaves no regret. It's God's kindness. I'm just going to advertise some practical impacts on your future. I mean, the, the session tonight is building a history in God. And I really do want you to try to picture yourself 20 years from now. So however old you are, add 20 years to that and think about what you're going to look like in 20 years. Get kind of a picture for that. Here's what I can promise you. There are some practical points that you will be very grateful for in the future. Invest now in a way that will matter. You know, just that idea of investment. So think about any financial investment. And pretend that it's a good one. Pretend there's a good one out there. Of course, we're all looking for those, right? Pretend there's a good one out there, and you invest one penny in it. In 20 years, that penny will be a little bit more, but you're going to be, if it was a really good investment and your friends invested a bunch into it and you invested a penny, in 20 years, you're going to go, I'm a dumb dumb. Invest in such a way that you would not say such things. Invest in a way that's impacting. Invest in a way that's going to matter. Don't put a little bit in there. Don't sprinkle a little of your extra. Put in some significant investment and build a history in God. Build something dynamic. Build something alive. Here's some things that I can promise you. Your own sake, your standard of life during the journey, I, I don't even mean 20 years from now. I mean from now through the 20 years, all, all the way, the whole 20 years. Your standard of living will be better. And not your external circumstances, your soul. Look at this verse, 1 Chronicles 28.9. I just think it captures some of what life looks like and feels like when you're actively building a history in God. 
the process. So we'll get to what happens in your life in 20 years in a moment. I want to talk about what's happening in your life the whole 20 years for a moment. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Look at the, all the verses, all the phrases that just describe the present reality of a vibrant heart. That's what we want. We want to live with a vibrant heart. If you are actively building a history in God and you're thinking about it, you will be actively having a vibrant heart. Your life and heart will be alive the whole way. Next, you will build an infinitely better future for yourself. I think about Samuel. There are plenty of examples, but I think about Samuel and even the statement that he makes. He's lived a godly life. He's loved the Lord. He's walked in obedience. He's sought the Lord. He's, he's done what he's supposed to do. He's been faithful. It's, just, it's been tough. He's experienced all sorts of disappointments, all sorts of difficulties, yet he's continued to seek the Lord. And at the end of his life, he says this, as for me, I'm old and gray. My sons are here with you. I've been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and of his anointed. He says this, he says, find fault. He says, I'm so confident in who I am in God and how I've lived before God and before you. He says, I've, I've lived before you all my days. He says, bring something before me. He says, tell, testify against me. Tell me about how I've wronged you. Tell me about how I've lived. He says, I'm so confident. I have lived a godly life. Oh, my gosh. What We want that. We want to be able to say that 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. We want to be able to stand before anybody. I mean, the point isn't that you're in front of a crowd. It's that the reality would be true whether you were in front of a crowd or not in front of a crowd. That you lived a godly life, a life of pursuit of God. We want to be able to say that. You can only say that if you're on purposely building. You will not accidentally get there. That current will take you in a different direction. Why else? Practical impact on your future. Again, building a history in God. Why? What's the benefit? What happens? What's the result? There's a whole generation that needs mothers and fathers in the faith, and they're coming up underneath us. There's a whole generation of them. Gen Z is coming up in great number and needs mothers and fathers in the faith. But those mothers and fathers better not be wusses. Those mothers and fathers, they better not have just gone through the motions or we will give them perhaps what we were given. We will have nothing more to offer them. We need to become those that build a history in God so we have got something to be able to give to them that we can set a path for them. We can pave a way and we can say, hey, look, follow this path. I, I know how to do it. Paul said it this way, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's paved a way. He's built a history in God, and he's telling us about how that history goes so that we could then model ourselves after it. There's a whole generation that needs mothers and fathers that cannot just say, yeah, go for God. Go for God. Here's how I did it. Let me show you. There's a whole generation that needs that. I can remember along these lines, but it wasn't really my primary thought. I can remember being 20, reading the word, and just, I, I remember reading so many times, and, and I, don't, I, I don't have all this figured out related to were these motives all good or all bad or mixed. I don't know. I'm just sharing with you some of what was going on in my mind as I was reading the Word of God, and I can remember it being boring to tears. I was so bored with the Word of God for years. I was, oh, I was depressed over how boring the Bible was to me. I hated reading it, and yet I was reading it hours and hours a day because I knew it was good for me. I was so bored with it. So I was looking for any motivation I could possibly have to get me to not quit reading the Bible. And one of them was, I want to have something to give others later. I will not be able to teach this book if I've not spent a lot of time in this book. I remember thinking that. I had 20. I had, nobody cared. Nobody was asking me to teach anything. But I remember thinking that and reading it going, 
I want to have something to be able to give. If this book is so painfully boring for me right now, it's probably going to be painfully boring for others as well. I want to have understanding so that I can actually make it easier for another generation. I remember thinking that when I say generation, that's now talk. I was thinking for six people. I was thinking in 10 years, I want to be able to make sense to six people. I hope that I can have enough understanding of this book that when I teach it to six people, six people would be able to understand what I'm talking about. I I, I wanted to have something to be able to give. And I just want to tell you, related to everything in your life in God, you will not be able to make spiritual impact just because you can quote things. It's got to be a living reality in you. There is something different from knowledge and impartation. Those two things are very different. And you cannot impart what you don't carry yourself. You want to impart something. And you don't impart because you read it or you can quote it. Those things are not unhelpful, but they are not powerful. (laughs) You want to be able to make impact. And the way that you make impact, you got to carry something. And the only way you can carry it is if you built it. You got to build a history in God. Provide for those that are coming. Provide hope for those that are coming. We are living in a dark time, and it's going to get worse. We talk about that around here a lot. The darkness of the days that we're living in and where things are going. It's going to get worse. People are going to need hope as at no time in human history. I'm going to say that statement. Again, I want you to hear me. There have been a lot of times, a lot of hard times. World War II was a tremendously difficult time. There have been very difficult times in human history. There's never been one so dark and so hopeless and so difficult as the ones we're headed into right now. People are going to need hope. Where are they going to get hope? From saved people? No, it's the same problem we were talking about a minute ago. Nothing to confer. They're going to get hope because people built a history in God and have got a hope to be able to give. They've got, they've actually dug deep. Their roots have gone down deep. Think about a shade tree that's got shade, that's got deep roots so that the, the, she, the tree won't shake in the wind. It's got shade and it's got fruit. People are going to camp out under that tree in these dark times that are coming. They're going to be looking for trees to camp out under. A tree that's stable, roots are deep enough, it's not going anywhere. A tree that's been there long enough and those roots have gotten deep enough that now there's real fruit on the tree, not just little berries, something real to be able to bite into. And then it's, it's stable and it's shaded so to be able to cover from all the, the difficulties. You want to be those shade trees. You won't be a shade tree because you got older. You'll be a shade tree if your roots go deep. That's building a history in God. You want to be those shade trees. You want to be able to provide hope and shade and help and fruit and strength to a generation that is going to so desperately need it. And then lastly on why. Why build a history in God? What comes of it? Joel 2.11 paints a very ominous picture of the future. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? <laughs> and the, the question, who can endure it, leaves you with this, this pain in your heart, like, you mean most won't? Exactly. But you mean most people that have read the Bible won't? Exactly. What manner of person? What's it going to take? What's, how can we endure what's coming? You won't endure because you got older in Jesus. You'll endure because you built a history in God. So even for your own sake in the future, in the midst of the very difficult reality that's coming, who can endure the day of the Lord? It's not going to be just everybody that prayed a prayer one time. Who can endure the day of the Lord? Those whose roots went deep, they built a history in God. we got to start thinking about this stuff as far more real than we ever have before. We want to be those that have got an answer to that question, who can endure it? Go, I, not with arrogance, with reality, I can endure. Why? Because I let my roots go deep, and that's what the Bible prescribed as the antidote. That's the answer. It's not arrogance, it's reality. It's actually the reason that ominous question is being asked, 
Who can endure it in order that all of us would be shaken in our soul and realize, I do not have what it takes just because I woke up today to endure it. I will need roots that go deep. But it's also then an advertisement, you can endure it if you'll set your roots deep, if you'll build a history in God. We're not going to look at the examples here in number three, but I just want to talk about number three for a minute. Building a history in God, it's really all about faithfulness. Emotions lie to us. I like emotions. I like feeling stuff. I, I like it. God gave us those. But the enemy also knows how to play on them and how to use them against us. So we need to align our emotions with what the Word of God says and not just go, because I felt it, it must be true. That's not real at all. And let me tell you, pertaining to this subject, one of the lies that is an easy one to believe as a zealous 20-year-old, it feels good to feel zeal. It feels powerful. Oh, I just, oh, I feel it. I'm in this worship moment. I feel it. Oh, I just did this thing for God and I feel it. I love to feel it. But don't mistake feeling it as though that means you've done it, you've arrived. Because let me give you the other feeling. Let me give you the other one. Faithfulness feels like nothing. Zeal feels exciting. Faithfulness feels like Tuesday. It's like, well, what am I doing today? Do you feel it? No, it feels exactly like yesterday. Is that exciting? Not particularly. Well, but don't you want to feel zealous? I like feeling zealous, but don't relate the authenticity of what's occurring to your emotion of that feeling of zeal. Because it's really easy to feel zealous, and therefore, if you're not feeling zealous, then you stop doing the thing. See, that's where the enemy, he swoops in, he takes full advantage of our emotional state if we're not careful, because if we're banking what we do or don't do on our feelings, I feel love for this person, therefore I'll do this and this. I no longer feel love for this person, therefore I won't do those things anymore. It's a total lie. That feeling is not the reality. I appreciate emotions. I'm going to keep trying to feel all kinds of good stuff, but I'm not going to be led by them. They will lead you astray. And related to faithfulness, I just can't stress enough the importance of faithfulness in the kingdom of God and how completely unfeeling it is. It just, it feeling, the faithfulness feels like absolutely nothing. It feels, I have like rarely in my life felt a feeling of faithfulness. Most of the time I'm being faithful and it just feels so mundane and ordinary and like kind of boring. Faithfulness feels boring. Zeal feels exciting. Zeal will burn out. And if all that's there is an emotion, it wasn't accomplishing anything anyway. Faithfulness is everything in the kingdom of God and doesn't feel warm and fuzzy hardly ever. So there's, a, there's an interesting lie we need to overcome because the kingdom of God is built on faithfulness primarily. So what's zeal really, it's only tested over time. Zeal is actually the proof of a life lived for God over time, not did somebody do something crazy for God. I, I, just, I just remember the way that the Lord led me into all this. Just, it, it struck me today as I was praying and kind of processing. I was living as zealous of a life as you could out in Africa on the front lines of the mission field. I am seeing God do crazy things every day. I am feeling very zealous about my life and the way that I'm doing things. And God says, go back to Texas and start a daily prayer meeting and feel very unzealous. I want to put in you what the kingdom's really made of, Mr. Zealous. I want to forge you in faithfulness because that's actually what makes the long-term impact. It's way more the kingdom of God and actually way more a fiery life than living out here on the front lines. I just that struck me today. It's like this is a it's really intense. And really, true faithfulness, true zeal, true fiery is follow God wherever He leads you, whatever He tells you. I just want to get rid, I want to burst the bubble that a zealous life for God looks like this, and it only looks like this, 
and it then will feel great all the time because that's just not true at all. So I gave you a bunch of examples of those in the Word that were living faithfully and various ways that they were doing it. We're going to keep going. Consistency is everything. Guys, I know so many people who were living what looked like the life to be admired in Christ. Looked like they're on a path. In 20 years, they're going to have a good report. But they weren't consistent. And along the way, they stopped. And they're hardly recognizable now. Who they are, how they are, how they live, what they think about, what they give themselves to, they're hardly recognizable to what things looked like. I don't mean they're lost. Some of them are. I mean, that happened too. That's not really mostly what I'm thinking about. It's, it's if you asked 20-year-old them about 40-year-old them, they'd throw up. They go, I cannot believe I turned into that. And I don't mean sinful, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I just mean they're, they're just not running hard after Jesus anymore. Because over time, things just, life just got sucked out of them. They got stuck in the current. Consistency is everything. I'll take consistency over zeal any day. Any day. Just do the right thing and keep doing the right thing and then do it again and again and again, week after month after year after decade. That is godliness. That is building something. That's history, that's real, that is powerful, that's transformational. (laughs) But I just think about all these people that I know that would preach this message better than me back in the day and say the statements and, and feel it. And where are they now? They're stuck in the current. Because I want to tell you that current, it is powerful. It is a strong current that has the power to suck you in. I'm looking back. So that's all the bad news. Let me give you some encouraging news. I'm looking back on 20-year-old me. I'm thinking about this as we're doing this series and we're doing this statement about, or this uh, session on building a history in God. And I'm just thinking about the stuff that I wanted to do, the things that I, I wanted to be true about my life 20 years later, the things I wanted to be able to say, the things that were important to me. I am today, in my 40s, I am reaping the benefits of having spent the last 20 years of my life building a history in God. And I want that for you. I am really thankful for the choices I made. I am so thankful. I am so incredibly thankful that I made them. And I'm so thankful for that consistency again and again. And I want to tell you, like Paul said, follow my example as I follow Christ. I am not done, but I have done the last 20 years right. I spent the last 20 years running after Jesus running after Jesus. I have no regrets. And I don't know too many people that can say that 20 years in. I have no regrets. I have lived my life for Christ exactly like I wanted to. I have pursued Jesus. The reason I tell you this is, I just told you the bad news that it's not possible unless you set yourself. I'm here to tell you it is possible. Set yourself. It is possible. Because now I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about me. I did it. And you can too. You can run after Jesus. Every season, every situation, singleness, marriage, kids, job changes. You can run after Jesus every season of your life. You can build a history and keep building and keep building. You do not have to quit. You do not have to stop. You do not have to get stuck in that current. It is not your destiny. You can fight it. You can do it. Follow my example as I follow Christ. You can do it. This is really good news because it means it can't be done. I just want to say that statement again. I have no regrets 
As I look back over the last 20 years of my life in Christ, I have no regrets of the way that I spent my 20s and the way I spent my 30s because I gave myself to him fully. And you can too. You can too. It's the best. It's the best. I spent the last 20 years of my life chasing him. I wanted to be able to say that. I wanted to be able to say I spent the last 20 years fasting and giving away money and praying, and I did it. When I was 20, I wanted to be able to say I spent my 20s and my 30s in obedience to God. I did it. You can too. You don't have to be part of that stat. You don't have to get sucked into the current of American Christianity. You don't have to. I wanted to be able to say when I was 40, I wanted, uh, there were things that were important that I'd lived a life of faithfulness and wholehearted love for Jesus. I wanted to be able to say that I stayed steadfast to his purposes for my life. I have watched so many people stop and not stay steadfast to God's purposes. And I'll just tell you this. If you take a detour on God's purposes for your life, there will be no end to how many other detours you're willing to take. So it's the first detour to not take. His purposes for your life. The direction that he's leading. Do this. Start this. Stop this. Go here. Go there. There is no end to the number of detours that you can take. I, when I was 20, I, I just remember thinking, oh, when I'm 40, I want to have spent the last 20 years of my life laser focused on the purposes of God that he has for me so that I could live the life he gave me instead of some godly life, some Christian way. I wanted to stay laser focused on the purposes of God. You can do that. I wanted to be able to say I have no regrets. <laughs> it feels amazing. It feels amazing. <laughs> It feels amazing. It is unbelievable, and I want to advertise it to you. <laughs> it feels so good to be able to say, I have no regrets about the way I've spent the last 20 years of my life. You want to say that in 20 years. You want to be able to say those fra that phrase and not be lying. You would never lie. You couldn't, you couldn't even get it out of your mouth. You'd start crying. You'd never be able to get it out. You'd never be able to fake it. You want to be able to say that. <laughs> but you won't unless you build a history day after week after month after decade. You won't be able to say it. It's not default. I, I assess the scene, and I, I don't know. I haven't asked a bunch of people. I think that that's a rare statement. I think that's a rare statement to be able to make. That the last 20 years, the spiritual walk, spiritual life, there was no regret. I want you to have that. I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for what 20 years has meant for me, for what that's done in my life. I want to encourage you to get rid of expiration dates on your commitments to the Lord. Just get rid of them. I'm going to do this for a week. No, I'm going to do this till I'm dead. I'm going to do this for the summer. I'm going to do this this next season. Just get rid of the expiration date. Just run after God until you've got no more grace, no more energy, no more life, no more breath left in you. It was another one of those misty songs that was messing with us back in the living room days. Here's the, the, the verses that were sticking out to me. I paid my vows. No turning around. I've burned the bridges that can't be found. I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm yours no matter what. Whatever it looks like, I'm yours. Whatever it feels like. <laughs> Just get rid of the... Burn the bridges. Burn the bridges. You don't ever want to go back. Don't build any protection clause in. Just burn the bridges and be done. I'm telling you, this is the right way to live. It, the right way to live is build a history in God, throw yourself fully in, 
and keep going forward no matter what. Well, we're going to wrap up here with just some thoughts here. Part six, the path forward. What's it look like? We looked at this verse last week, but this is the primary point of existence is set your course. Set your course and let this confront you. I just want to encourage you. Like, set your course. Here's what it looks like. I am going to run like someone who's going to win the race. Everybody runs. Everybody competes. But there's a different way to compete if you're trying to win the race than if you're just trying to be in the race and say you ran it. Set your course as to be one that will win the race. You run faster. You work harder. You go longer. That's what it is. That's how you win the race, and your heart will be so alive. You will live real life the whole way, and in 20 years, you'll look back and go, best decision ever. (laughs) Wisdom will be proved right by your children. You'll be able to look back over 20 years and go, oh, this was good. This was right. It was right the whole way, and man, is it paying dividends now. You want that. You want that to be real about you, but you've got to set your course. You need, oh, let me tell you this. You need to learn how to be faithful in small, dumb things. You, most of the kingdom is faithfulness in small things. Just do the thing again. Just show up again. Just do the thing. You want to become a master at this. Don't become a master at the radical a master at the crazy, become a master at faithfulness in small things. And then find the Lord's pleasure in those small things because he's the one that says he rewards faithfulness. He rewards it because he likes it. So find his pleasure in the doing of it. If you will learn how to find pleasure, if you will learn how to become a master at the small things, you'll be able to enjoy dumb things, things that don't matter. Straightening the chairs, whatever your, whatever your job is, whatever, whatever things in the kingdom are, whatever your little, the little things. It, it doesn't even make sense to make a list because it looks so differently for each one of you. Whatever the little things, the little mundane things, again and again and again, <coughs> the little movements of the heart, just the little ones. Well, I want to have the big, epic worship experience. Cool, I hope that works for you. Instead, because you can't make that one happen, Engage the Lord with little movements of the heart 20 times a day. Little ones like, oh, I'm trying. I love you. Oh, that one didn't even really feel real. Okay, I'm judging my own unloved feelings. Lord, help me to love you. I love you. Okay, that felt a little better. The little movements of the heart. Keeping those daily commitments you make. Daily commitments. Reaching for him again and again. I just want to encourage you related to money. Always tithe. Don't ever not tithe one time in your life. And then figure out how to give way more than that. But always tithe. Always do that. It's just such a freeing up thing in your soul. Because here's the thing that happens related to money, specifically tithing. For those that don't tithe, it's because they don't believe God would actually supply for them if they gave away that 10%. And so God's like, I, just, I want you to learn this. I'm real. Always tithe. Leaning into the Lord and believing that he is going to supply. That's actually what it's about. And then that's an invitation for a lot more. It's not a religious thing. It's actually God trying to get our hearts and help us to engage him. Always submit to him. Always submit to his word. Repent every time you sin. All the little times. Every time you sin. Every time to every person. Every time. If you're in traffic and you do somebody dirty, you know, lip read to them. Just repent every time to everybody. Every time you sin, repent. It just, it's moving the heart. It's lubing the heart. You're practicing. You're working the muscle. You're building a history in God because you're not repenting simply to people. Because who cares if there's no God? Who cares? But there's a God. You're repenting to a person so that God sees. See, you're building a history with him every time you repent. Every little time. All these little things. Fight to get to know Jesus every day of your life. I just want to focus on this last point, and then I'll share a secret weapon. I said it last week, 
I don't know. I might have to say it every week. I, I can't think... I can't think of anything more important for your life in God than you, than you submitting your will to him. I can't think of anything more important in your life, in God, than you refusing to make your own decisions and you asking him what he wants and do what he wants instead of doing what you want. I think this gets people off course way more than sin. Here's why. Because eventually, hopefully, if you've got a real heart in God, when sin happens, you're going to realize that and you're going to repent. The problem here is we've got such a hardwired thought process that this is my life and I can do whatever I want with it. It's rooted in pride. My life, my will, what I want. And God says, actually, you're a dead man. And you no longer live. I live through you, but I will not force my will upon you. So if you choose to ask me what I want, I'll tell you. Then you can do the life that was actually destined for you instead of the life that you want. And the thing that bugs me the most, it really does. This is the thing that bugs me the most about God. He will let us do our will. And many times he won't say a thing about it. Good is absolutely the enemy of the best. You will come up with a good plan for your life. I'd like to do this, and now God bless it. And God will actually bless your dumb idea. It's amazing. He's so kind. He's like, well, if you're not going to do my will, you're still my child. I'm not going to curse your life. I will bless, I'll pour out blessings. I'll allow you to operate according to biblical principles even outside of the direction I wanted you to go. So long as it's not in total sin. He will even bless it and we'll say, God, bless this, bless this. And he'll actually bless it. It's so, it's terrifying. I want to encourage you, stop making your own decisions. Stop it. Stop it. You are sacrificing all that God could do in your life. You are settling for second best or 20th best by you making decisions about your life. Ask God. Not only that, the word tells us a thousand things that are off limits. Don't do them. Don't ask God. Don't do them. The Bible says it. But then ask him about the things that it doesn't speak about. Do I go left or right? Do I go up or down? Do I take this or that? Do I do this job or this job? Do I say here? Do I go there? Stop making your own decisions because you're going to wind up off course. And that off course, it will not yield you the, the purposes of the Lord's li- uh, plans for your life. He'll have to just keep amending the plan. Don't live that way. You'll never be able to experience the fullness of what God wants for you. You've got to sacrifice. You've got to lay down your life. He said it really simple. He said, take up your cross And follow me wherever I go. I, too, have a cross. Follow me. But we've decided, as American Christians, we're going to come into the kingdom. We're going to read ten principles from the Bible. We're going to apply those principles to my life. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm going to apply those ten principles to my life. And there's plenty of books at the Christian bookstore that will tell you how to live that way. What we need to be doing is we go, what is your life through me? What do you want? Where do you want me? How do you want me? When do you want me? And then we follow the lamb wherever he goes. Here's my secret weapon, and I just want to tell you, it's the kindest thing. I've said this before. It's a calculated statement. This isn't just preacher talk. The kindest thing God ever did to me was tell me to be in a corporate prayer meeting seven days a week for the rest of my life. It was the kindest thing he ever said to me. It was kind. I didn't appreciate it at the time because I was only thinking about how restrictive that meant my life was. Let me tell you what that has meant after 17 years. Thousands of days seeking him in the morning. Thousands of days asking him what he wants. Thousands of days trying to reach for him. Thousands of days. Do you hear this? thousands of days. I just want to advertise to all of you. 
Come to the prayer room seven days a week for the rest of your life. Figure it out. Doesn't have to be for two hours. It could be for 30 minutes every day for the rest of your life. Do you know how many days, I, I mean, days, thousands of days, confronting sin and confronting pride and confronting issues and seeking the Lord and hearing his voice and have the word come alive, thousands of days. If I have one up on anybody, one up, it's that the Lord told me the smartest thing a human could do, be in a prayer meeting every day until you're dead. And then I find out much later, oh, that's exactly what David said was the thing he wanted on planet earth more than anything. This one thing I ask you, this one thing I will seek to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze and to inquire. <laughs> the guy after God's own heart, and the Lord's like, oh, Brad, I love you so much. I'm going to trick you into doing the David thing. Guys, I just want to tell you, I'm going to advertise it loudly. It is brilliance. It is wisdom from the Lord. It is kindness. It is a gift. And I just want to advertise to you, come to the prayer room seven days a week until you're dead. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.